Welcome to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. This is a podcast where we talk all things culture, leadership and teamwork across business and sport. To all our loyal listeners, the Culture of Things podcast will now have specific episodes produced for YouTube. To ensure you don't miss out on this exclusive YouTube content, head over to YouTube, click on the subscribe button, and hit the notification bell. Now, let's get into the episode. This is my conversation with Dan Cockrell. Dan's a retired 26-year Walt Disney Company VP who now owns Cockrell Consulting Group with his wife, Valerie. What's the least understood and most overlooked leadership skill there is? It's accountability. It's the skill that all leaders find the hardest to master, often because they've never been taught. Today, we get down and dirty into the skill of accountability. We understand where expectations fit into the process, and we unpack the difference between accountability and micromanagement. Dan shares the Disney Leadership Accountability Matrix and how this drives high-performance leadership across one of the world's most recognized companies. Mastering accountability is the leadership game changer. Get good at it, and you'll move to a leadership level most never achieve. Check out my three key takeaways after the interview. We love feedback. Let us know what you liked and don't like, and we'll keep improving. This is the Culture of Things podcast. I'm Brendan Rogers. Sit back and enjoy my conversation with Dan. So Dan, in your own words, mate, can you define what is accountability? Yes, Brendan. Uh, so before I define it, I always like to start with what the dictionary says so we can get a, a good idea. So I looked this up before the we recorded here. You know, of course, the first definition is always something like the quality or state of being accountable, which doesn't help us much. But what it, it does say is uh, an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. So I think there's a, a some overlaps here in terms of what um, some other words to use. Uh, courage is uh, definitely something I would use to uh, define accountability, having the courage to be responsible for what you've promised that you're going to say or do, making sure you hold others to be responsible for what they've said they're going to say or do. And sometimes it's making sure that you um, are taking responsibility for what your your organization has promised to your customers. So, you know, holding yourself accountable or a company can hold itself accountable to make sure it follows through on the values or the promise it's made to, to its clients or customers. So a lot of this goes back to, you know, responsibility and uh, follow through. And then when you start talking about that, you start getting into these ideas of integrity Trust, credibility. So these are these are all connected, but it's such a, a basic building block, I think, of everything in life. Wh- whether it's relationships with, uh, you know, in a in a marriage with your kids, your family, your friends, um, or in a professional sense. Uh, but responsibility and courage for me come up as two big words I think about, and um, you know, it's like like a lot of things. Sometimes people say, "Well, what? I'm not sure what that is." Well, I know it when I see it. And uh, I've worked for leaders and organizations that have had high accountability, and uh, it's it's a lot clearer to me that um, they it's you're walking the walk. You're going to do what you say you're going to do, and uh, we all know people who we know who are highly accountable. We trust what they're going to say, and we know that they're going to follow up when we make a promise, and we tend to follow through uh, on a more consistent basis when we work with people like that. 
And so it's uh, it's 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 such a basic building block of so many things in life. I think it's a really important one, which is why you know I think we're talking about that today. Yeah, and you sort of touched on it there in your in your answer. Let's contrast this a bit. What does good accountability look like, and what does poor accountability look like? Something I've had learned over the the years during my career is there's definitely some some building blocks you need to put in there to get to a level where um, um, you can have good, as you're saying, good accountability. So I'd like to define what it is. I may put a couple exam- bad examples or examples of bad accountability, but I like to define it. And then you can just assume everything opposite of this is bad. I think first, you know, the first thing here is um, making sure that um, you understand what the expectations are. You know, you create clarity for whoever you're working with. When I say working with, once again, a lot of what my examples are, this this crosses over into your personal life. My wife is actually working on a book right now. She's almost done. It's going to come out in uh, 2023 called Manage Like a Mother. And uh, she has taken all the concepts that mothers have to raise kids and look at that and comparing it to leadership. And it's incredibly how many there are. And boy, accountability is right up there with raising children that are going to you know, be able to go out and be productive citizens in the world. And, and also, obviously, it ties back to a professional environment. So you know, great accountability starts with great expectations, clarity, not being um, vague about what you, what you want to have. So I'll share a couple stories here to illustrate that for, for you. When I was uh, working at Disney multiple times when I was in theme parks, I was responsible uh, one of my responsibilities was outdoor vending, right? So you, we sell ice cream, pretzels, soda, whatever, uh, turkey legs. That's a that's a really good one. If you want to find one food item that can uh, you know feed a small village, you can get a turkey leg at Walt Disney World. So the the bottom line is they, they we call these impulse items. They're things that you didn't plan on getting, but when you see them, you're going to buy them. So when it comes to comes to that, outdoor vending was a really important business for us. Not only did it make a lot of money, but these carts are spread out all around the park. And so because they are spread out, often uh, these uh, employees, these cast members get lots of questions from guests. So it's really important. Not only they're good at selling, but they're also good at being available and answering questions and knowing about the park. And so we would be very clear with our uh, cast members that that was a big part of their role. So my um, my expectation for them was when they were not helping a guest, they weren't selling ice cream or whatever to a guest. They were standing out in front of their cart because when you're when you're in front of the object, whether it's a cash register or whatever, you're visually you're you're available. You're you have an open body language. It, it's just a friendlier experience, and I know those friendly experiences add up to a great experience for guests. So that was a big expectation of mine. So when I walked through the park, I was always looking. For the employees, if they weren't uh, busy interacting with a guest, they were standing out front, making eye contact and greeting guests as they walked by. And uh, everyone knew this. So what I, what I figured out was if I walked up to a cart and the cast member was really nice and greeted me and smiled and didn't have any clue that they were supposed to be out in front of the cart, that was a training issue. We hadn't set clear expectations for them. Now, if they um, were out, they were like slowly came out from behind the cart as I walked up. 
then, and I asked them, they said, well, yeah, you know what? I, I usually should be out there. I wasn't really thinking about it or I was kind of whatever. That is an accountability issue. They knew what they were supposed to do. They just had not decided not to do it for whatever reason. So great accountability always starts with clear expectations. And in your business, you need to get all the way to the nth level of detail. How do you answer the phone in your business? Do you use your name when you answer the phone? Hi, this is Dan. Can I help you? That's a training piece. And once people know that, they're now trained. They know how to deliver it. And now you need to hold them accountable to make sure they do that consistently every time because that's the that's what great businesses do. They are consistent in how they deliver their service and they're consistent in how they deliver their products. So this is a, a step that uh, we find when we do consulting and work with companies a lot of them haven't gone to this level of detail to understand what they actually expect from their employees. Another good one at Disney, you know, we, we, we have uh, something we call the, the um, decision criteria. And it's we train all our employees. And when I say all the employees, I mean from the executives all the way to our frontline employees, how to make decisions. You always think about safety first. You never put safety in jeopardy for yourself, your fellow employees, or your customers. Uh, once you've thought about safety, then you use courtesy as the next decision-making point. Be nice to people. Help them out. Be friendly. Um, then you go to show. Make sure that you everything looks good. You're delivering. You're putting on the show for your guests. Everything's clean. Everything's operating the right way. And then lastly, efficiently, efficiency. And so because we set these clear decision criteria for our employees, we can then hold them accountable on how do they make their decisions. And so we always tell them, you know, hey, when you made that decision, what was the first thing you thought of? And if the answer is not safety, well, let's talk about that. And then you know, that accountability happens. The accountability could be a reinforcement of the training. The accountability could be, you know, we talked about this last week. This is the second time this has happened. I really want to make sure you understand we're going to retrain you. The accountability could be, this is the fifth time we've talked about it, and you're now going to get a reprimand for this. So there's different levels of follow-through accountability and, and how they're... But what I think about is you need to do the least, the least action to create the new uh, behavior and, and get that accountability to where it needs to be. And sometimes the least is good to change a behavior is to terminate people, you know, but you, you need to have a, give them a fair shake along the way and make sure they know... Um, how that's all supposed to go down and what they're supposed to do. Um, and I think a lot of leaders try to hold people accountable who haven't been given the right training, haven't had the expectations set. And that's just a, that's a, a recipe for disaster. So clear expectations is number one. And then being really good at correcting behavior. You know, when you're holding someone accountable, you are not judging them as a person. You're judging the behavior. And that's what you want to get to. So sometimes you're going to have a positive accountability. You're going to give them a, a handshake, a, a, a pat on the back. You're going to give them a, a, a thank you card. You're going to give them a bonus. You're going to do something really positive to reinforce that behavior. Or you're going to coach them and make sure you, you, you reinforce it. But you're going to do it in a way that's very professional and is focused on getting to the mission, whatever your mission is. And once again, your mission may be raising your kids and holding them accountable to these behaviors, but you, you can't be scared to have those conversations and constantly reinforce them. Because if you don't, once again, you're not going to get the kind of results you think you need. So once again, great accountability is crystal clear expectations and consistent follow-up to make sure people are held accountable for that. Um, I've worked for leaders, and I think we all have. They ask you to do something. And they never ask about it again, you know, and I think that's a dangerous way to lead an organization. I like the idea of um, trust and uh, follow through, trust and inspect. 
I'm going to trust you, but I'm going to verify that what I asked you to do is actually getting done. And that is accountability. And that's an organizational issue. So great accountability also the leaders who have it are very organized and they know exactly what they've requested. They know what uh, deadlines they've given people. They give clear deadlines. They don't tell people as soon as possible. They don't tell them at your earliest convenience. They give them a date and a time and agree on that with the person. And then the accountability goes up dramatically because once again, you've set clear expectations on what what you need um, as a leader. You talk about it so confidently and I have to say, even listening to you, it sounds so simple, but we know that a lot of leaders out there are very challenged by this skill called accountability. Why is that so? Well, I think one is um, they may be af- afraid or uncomfortable. You know, they, they don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. They want to have a good relationship with people. So they don't want to say anything that may be contradictory to making people, you know, uh, loss of morale. But uh, when, when I was that, I think that's a, a misnomer. I think that's a big mistake by leaders. You can't be afraid of this. And one of the, the I used to, when I ran the all-star uh, resort, it was a 6,000 room hotel. And so you can imagine housekeeping was a big deal. When you have 6,000 rooms, accountability is a big driver of the success of that hotel. Because um, as I like to do the math, uh, 1% of 6,000 is 60. And so if you clean your hotel at 99%, which sounds pretty good, you're still going to have 60 dirty rooms, which is not very good when you have people paying you know, top dollar to come on their dream vacation. So I would talk to um, the, the housekeepers about their leadership. You know, I was always interested in how our leaders were doing their jobs. And I'd talk to them that the phrase I love to hear, I knew a leader was doing a really great job because I, I would consistently hear, my leader is firm and fair. You know what? They are firm about what their expectations are. Firm meant they hold me accountable. And fair meant they do it in the right way. They know who I am and they, they don't take things for granted. They have all the facts, firm and fair. And so I think a lot of times, uh, you know, leaders are afraid of being firm. And that's, once again, I'll go back to this parenting thing. You know, usually in a couple, there's one of the parents or both sometimes that um, are uncomfortable holding their kids accountable because they say, well, if I do that and I'm too mean, they're not going to love me. You know what? Your kids up until they're like 18 years old should not love you. <laughs> they should, they should be, uh, you should not be the most, the favorite person in their life. Now, I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but the bottom line is if you want to, you know, raise kids the right way or get an organization to deliver, you have to have those uncomfortable conversations. If detail is important to you, you need to hold people accountable in detail. And the people who don't want to do that will talk themselves out of it and say, well, I don't want to nitpick. This person's job is too hard already. I don't want to have to give them another piece of feedback on something. It looks like it's just me picking on them. But once again, at the end of the day, if you are going to help them in their careers get better, you got to hold them accountable. So once again, I think a big part of this is fear. People don't feel comfortable doing it. They don't know how to do it. And what I've always told my teams for for many years is there's a lot of things you may not know how to do. You got to start practicing. I think we all get, we want to do it perfectly the first time. You don't do anything perfectly the first time. You got to practice. And the more you provide feedback, the better you get at doing it. Your phrases get better. 
how you respond to the, uh, the, the reactions that come back your way, you get better at that. So even if you're, you're scared of doing this or you don't feel comfortable, you got to get started and you got to start um, practicing. And if you can do that, like I said, you'll get really good at this. You get, you get good at the things you practice doing. And if you can't get your team to deliver um, what you, the mission of your organization, you're going to have a really hard time as a leader because you're not going to have any credibility to, to be able to change their behaviors. So get rid of that fear. And secondly, get organized. Get organized. Make sure you're out. If you're not out with your employees, you can't hold them accountable. If you're not observing their performance, and if you don't know what's going on, then you can't you know, get involved with that. So accountability means I'm going to go out like I did when I was working at Disney. I'll go walk the park every day because I want to hold my team accountable to delivering a great experience. So I need to be out there with them. Um, if I ask you to uh, give me a report by next Friday, if I don't get it by next Friday at five o'clock, someone's calling you to find out where that report is. If I don't say anything, you're going to say, well, I guess he forgot maybe next time, you know, and you just, you don't follow through. Once again, it's like kids. Well, they told me to go to bed and they didn't tell me again. So I guess I'll just stay up and see what happens. So it's, it, it becomes a little repetitive, but once again, get organized, remember what you, what expectations you've set, follow through on them. And if you don't like to do that, then once again, don't become a leader. And secondly, start practicing and get more comfortable with this because you'll get so many much better results in your professional career if you can have these difficult conversations. Dan, how is micromanagement different if it is different to accountability? Man, fantastic question. So micromanagement is, in my opinion, I'm constantly flying really low telling you how to do your job. I'm constantly making um, those corrections and, and how to get there. I think from an accountability standpoint is I train you, I set clear expectations, and then I take a step back and I let you do your job. I let you be who you are. I let you find different paths, different ways to get there. Um, if I, I'll go back to my ice cream cart example because it's such a, you know, a simple one for me. If I have an employee that says, you know what, I don't feel comfortable standing out in front of my cart because what if I get a question that I don't know the answer to? You know, I'm afraid I'm not going to have the right answer. Well, let me train you on that. Let me give you the materials you need. This is uh, something that you have or you can put in your pocket. We're going to make sure you have a phone nearby to be able to ask the question if someone asks you something. So you give that training over time and then you teach them how to do it. And if I'm micromanaging, I'm going to be out there at your ice cream cart standing right next to you. And when guests walk up, I'll start answering the questions on your behalf because I want you to show you how it's done. And I'm not going to ever give you any runway to do it on your own. So um, I, and I used to be very clear with my team. I said, when I go out in the park and I walk around and I take pictures of things, chips of paint or maybe employees not interacting at the level they should be or something that isn't working. Or on the other hand, I give you, you know, examples of little things that are really positive. All the light bulbs are working. The background music is in play. The area was really clean. You may say, well, as the vice president of the theme park, why would you be doing that? That seems nitpicky. It seems like micromanaging. And I said, well, micromanaging would be, I'd be out here at your side all the time. I'm not out there by your side, but attention to detail is important. So don't don't confuse attention to detail with micromanaging because attention to detail is important and things need to be the way they need to be. And so once again, when I'm out walking hotel rooms to make sure they're clean, I'm not doing it because it's our inspection process because I can't go walk 6,000 rooms. 
I'm doing it because I want you to understand how important it is to have clean rooms. And by being out there looking at rooms and taking my valuable time to do that, I'm hopefully going to relay the message, this is important. And when a housekeeper never sees a general manager show up to look at their room, over time, they may say, maybe my job's not that important. But I know if I don't have clean rooms in a hotel as a general manager, I'm in big trouble. I'm going to have a lot of problems with my leadership because uh, that's one of my big responsibilities is to deliver cleanliness. So, you know, micromanaging is, uh, you know, micro, I think micromanagers don't train their people well. They don't set clear expectations and they're always checking up on them constantly as opposed to trying to teach them to think independently. And once they can think independently, hold them accountable on the results and hold them accountable on the decisions they make. As an employee, and again, you spent 26 years in Disney environment, how early should we be setting expectations with people to help on this trail of accountability? Immediately. (laughs) When I talked earlier about the decision criteria, safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency, all the employees at Disney, you learn that on your first day. Before you even get to your work location, before you do anything else, you go through one day of traditions, which is the, the Disney orientation. And you learn about why we exist as a company and what our promise is to our guests and what um, what the company is going to deliver and what your role is. And a big part of that uh, day of orientation is talking about these four, key, these four um, decision criteria and then going out and actually observing it in a theme park. Um, all the new employees get to visit the park for a few hours. They look for examples of safety. They look for examples of courtesy and show and efficiency so they can clearly understand that. So these uh, concepts are very clear in their mind on the second day when they show up in their work location. So they may not know exactly how to do the job yet, but they know that safety is really important. So if something seems unsafe, they should ask a question or they should speak up because we've already trained them to do that. It's similar for, I think, from a leadership role. When my uh, I'd start working with a new team in a, an executive role or a management role, I would spend the first few months really spending lots of time in the operation to get to know everyone, to learn how things are done, to find out what the opportunities were, to find out what was doing going well before I started to really make decisions on where I was going to spend my time. However, within the first week or two, I would sit down with the team and walk them through what I call my operating practices and priorities memo. And it's about a six-page uh, memo and it just said, look, these are my operating instructions. I don't know you yet and I don't know the operation yet, but I want to let you make sure you know how I operate. These are, this is what's important to me. And I'd go through. I'm uh, accessible 24 hours a day because when you work at Disney, there's guests in your hotel rooms 24 hours a day. And if you think you need to call me at two o'clock in the morning because you want me to help you make a decision, I will never give you a hard time about that. Now, I may talk about next time, now you know how to make that decision, and or maybe you don't have to call me on something like that. But if you think you need to, you call me, and we'll make that decision together. So don't worry about weekends. Don't worry about that. I won't judge your performance, the fact that you woke me up in the middle of the night. That's part of the job. So I got into what communication looked like. I talked about uh, what development looked like, what follow-through looked like. And I wanted to make sure I, I defined this very clearly for the team within the first couple of weeks. Once again, it didn't mean I had a, they trusted me yet. It didn't mean I had a great relationship yet because I hardly knew them, but they knew exactly what I was all about. So, and it's the delivery, the delivery is everything. You know, people said, well, you just email this memo and not, you know, and that was it. I said, no, no, I would sit down and walk them through it 
have them ask questions, make sure we had an under, a mutual understanding. And we would sit down and review that probably about every six months. And then I would ask the team what they expected of me. Because you know, expectations and accountability goes two ways. I told them, I'm going to hold you accountable, but you need to hold me accountable as your leader. Because if I'm not doing my job the best I can, you're not going to be able to do the, the jobs that you can do well, really well. And so it's uh, we're all in this relationship together. And we got this has to go both ways. So I don't think you should... Um, um, spend uh, very little time to make this happen. And, you know, sometimes you got to look at the consequences. You know, if I don't give you clear expectations on greeting guests, that's one thing. But if I don't teach you the hand signs on how to operate an attraction, that can result in much worse consequences. So these expectations are, uh, I can't say enough how important they are to make sure that people are able to do. And accountability, once again, it starts with uh, clarity. And Mike, can you think of a time in your history of working at Disney, where a cast member that you've led has had an accountability conversation with you? And what did that look like? So I had an executive uh, reporting to me at one of my roles at Disney, and communication was something that was a big deal to me. So what I learned is if you have great clarity around how you communicate as a team and how you receive information as a leader you're going to have all the facts you need to make decisions and you're going to be able to run your business better. And so I had an expectation with my team that um, uh, every Friday I wanted a one-page update from each of my general managers. And that update would provide three things. What are things that you think I need to know to be able to do my job better? because I can't know everything that every general manager is doing in their business. There's lots of stuff I don't need to know. But what I'd ask them to use their common sense. What are the things you think I need to know to be able to uh, make better decisions and run this park? What are the things you're working on or thinking about that I can help you with that you're going to improve and make better along the way? And lastly, what are some great things you did this week that I don't know about? I'm giving you permission to brag because I can't, I don't know every, all the great stuff you're doing either. And I want to make sure you get credit for all this great stuff you are doing. So put that in this report. The irony is I'm going to take it at the end of the year and tell you all the great things you did. And you know, who was the, who provided that information you did? It just has to be factual, right? You just don't, don't uh, exaggerate it. And so every Friday I'd get that report from everyone and it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big PowerPoint presentation. It wasn't this big, it was one pager and it's much easier to provide a 10 page report than it is a one page report because you really got to distill down what the important things are. But it was a great way for me to uh, have everyone think critically and be up to speed on what was going on in food and beverage and, and operations and attractions and engineering and merchandise and entertainment. And so I had one of my, my general managers consistently miss that deadline and, um, you know, missed it once. I said, look, I really need to get this. He'd hit the, he'd hit the deadline for a couple of weeks. The next time around, I'd get it on Monday. And it, it was such a little thing, but I said, look, there's no gray here. I mean, this is a really clear expectation and this is something we all agreed to. This is something that's important to me. And he couldn't get organized. And eventually I had to terminate him. And he had been with the company a long time and he was an executive. And he said, I can't believe you're firing me for this. I said, look, I have been crystal clear and there has been no doubt about how to do this. I've told you, I've given you some, some tips on how to do this. 
you didn't even have to do it yourself. You just had to make sure it got done. And for some reason, you couldn't pull this together. It turned out there were a lot of other issues happening, but this was the tip of the spear for me that I could measure. Because I can't, there's a bunch of stuff I can't measure. I can't measure how people's attitude are, and I can't measure how committed they are to the job. These are things that I can't see, but I can see behaviors. And that's why these expectations are so clear. I could see that behavior. I could see whether it was being demonstrated or not, and I could hold him accountable to that. And that's what ended up happening. So they're not always happy endings. But once again, as a leader, you have signed up to help the mission of your department, the mission of your division, the mission of your company. And if you aren't holding accountable, you're not doing that. If you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. And so for me, that was often a motivator to make sure I was holding people accountable was, you know what, this isn't comfortable, but if I don't do this, I'm not doing my job. And if I'm not doing my job, that's not good for me. It's not good for my family. So I better find some courage and step up and uh, make sure I, I have these tough conversations. How long had the chap worked in Disney before that? Decades, 24, 25 years. Just interesting, is it that, do you know the the history of you know that person? Has it been a, an ongoing thing where he's not been held accountable by previous leaders, but then he's got to your area and you're so good at it that uh, he, he couldn't handle the accountability side? Yeah, it, like I said, there was, there was some other things happening, but at your point, I've seen that happen where and it's it's really a disservice if if you don't hold your your teams accountable because if you don't hold them accountable they're going to just believe they're doing a the great job and eventually they're going to discover when they work for someone who is does hold them accountable that they their bar is really low and they're going to have to play catch up you see that play out at least an example i use is in the united states in the school systems you know, some school systems are really great. And from a young age, you get a really great education and you're held accountable to learn. And the test scores um, by teachers are there. And so when you get to those higher levels of education, you're ready. You're ready to go to university. You're ready to deal with that. And some school districts, their, their standards are lower. And so when these students get the university level, they really struggle because they've never really been held accountable to perform. They don't know what great it looks like. So once again, if, if you're ever afraid to give feedback to someone or hold them accountable, just think to yourself, not only is it my job, but if I don't do this for them, I'm not training them. I'm not making them better. And I'm, in a lot of cases, people want to get better. They want to have a better career. They want to be promoted eventually, maybe make more money. And if you don't hold them accountable, they're not going to be able to do that because you're not giving them an opportunity to change that behavior. Once again, it's like, uh, go back to kids. We told our kids, we don't have expectations for you in life. We want you to be happy, but we are going to hold you accountable to the rules so you stay safe. We're going to have a curfew for you. There's going to be certain rules around what age you can drive and what when you can drive. We're going to set those out because we want you to have options later in life. And so once again, when you set the bar high for your your teams or your family and they 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 live up to that, they perform better also. So um that, that is something that, that plays out. If you haven't worked for a great organization, you may not know what great looks like. If you're working in a hotel and you've never stayed in a really nice hotel, it's hard to know what great service looks like if you've never seen it before. So that's a big responsibility of leaders is to make sure they set the bar at a level that people are striving to get to. And then once again, hold them accountable because that'll, that'll keep driving them higher and higher. You know, I grew up being an athlete and I could never do as well by myself I always did better on a team and with a really coach that pushed me than I could by myself. Now, some people have great discipline. They can push themselves 
as hard as they want. But I always found when you have a coach, you just, your bar goes, gets higher and you try harder if you have the right kind of coach. So you got to put yourself in those situations where you're going to have that person pushing you because this accountability is a really positive thing long-term. Our interview will continue after this. An expression of gratitude or reciprocity, no matter how large or small, is an important part of a healthy culture and relationships. Our friends at Jangler have a great app that allows you to send a gift card with either a personal video, voice message, or funny gif. You can send it right away or schedule to send on the perfect day and time. So it can be something you set and forget. It's perfect for clients, employees, birthdays, and any celebration where you can't be there in person. It's quick, easy to send, and you can spend instantly in-store or online when you receive a card. Check it out at www.jangler.com.au. That's www.jangler.com.au. And we want to unpack the leadership accountability matrix that's used at Disney. But before just going into that, in your opinion, how important is accountability in, let's say, the leadership toolbox? For me, it kind of all starts there. I mean, there's a lot of overlaps of what you could debate and people have been debating for hundreds of years what the most important leadership traits are. And I don't think there's just one that is number one. But this accountability is up there because accountability, like I said, for me means courage. And without courage, nothing happens. Without courage, we don't take risks. Without courage, we don't step forward and, and, and lead. Without courage, we don't make mistakes. Because if you don't have courage, you're never going to put yourself in a situation where you can fail. So I think it, it's, it's, it's a really big one. Here's what I, I always saw. And I'll, I'll give you two examples. When I was working in the different jobs I was in, and 19 different jobs over that time period at Disney, in the moment, a lot of times I'd hear people talk about a leader and say, yep, they're firm and fair, but you, you really got to get the job done. They are very detail-oriented. They will hold you accountable. You got to make sure you get things in on time. They don't mess around. And it was kind of almost like a negative thing. And then later, when that person would leave or that employee would transfer to another area, they would look back and say, that was one of the best leaders I've ever had. I learned so much from them because they got into the detail. They taught me how to be really good at what I did. They made sure I knew how to do the job. Um, when I didn't do it well, boy, they were the first one to you know give me that tough love and sit me down. And I hated those conversations, but it really made me get better as a person. It made me really kind of... Um, you know, get that grit to be able to perform. So you never, when you're a high, when you're a leader who holds people accountable, you never get that credit in the moment. It's always later. It comes up as you are a great leader, but they don't give you that credit. Same with kids. They don't tell you when they're five, thank you for holding me accountable to teach me skills to deal with others professionally or so I can be you know really good in my life. No, it's like when they're 25, you know, they write you a letter. Hey, I realize now all the things you did, all the things you held me accountable to. Now I understand why. Now I see what the benefit of that is. So that's the hard thing about a leader is you're, you're not what you're doing today. People aren't going to realize how great it is till much later. So just have faith you're doing the right thing. Tell us about the leadership accountability matrix. Give us some context first of how this was embedded and how it was utilized in the Disney organization. This was uh, back in the you know, late 80s, early 90s, there was a change happening 
And for many years, companies, accountability, if you talk to a leader about accountability, it was about, do you get the results? Do you deliver? Do you hit your budgets? Do you manage your labor hours? Do you hit your sales numbers? Um, and it was really about, if you do that, you're a great leader. And uh, you know, as, as culture changed, people started to realize, I don't want to work in a place that's just about that. I want to be human. I don't want to just be you know, it was a very tough environment and no one really cared about how you got things done. They didn't care about whether you liked working there or not. They said, you know, you're hired here. You're, you're lucky to have a job working here. And that's the way things are. And uh, employees started to realize, first of all, I don't want to work in a place like that. And employers started to realize if you um, start to get people's compliance versus their commitment, you're not going to get all the value out of employees because you can lead with compliance. I'm going to make you comply because I'm going to put rules in place. I'm going to put measurement systems in place to make sure that I'm holding you accountable for everything you do versus explaining to you why it's so important to do a great job and get you committed to the job and wanting to do better. Uh, that's always the best way in leadership is if you can get your, your teams to want to, to perform because they understand their mission. They understand how important they are. So Disney recognized this and started a, a major change, which said, Moving forward, we are still going to expect you to deliver the results. However, we're also going to hold you accountable on how you deliver the results. Um, there's going to be certain behaviors that are going to become unacceptable and certain behaviors that you need to use to get those results. And so, like everything in life, um, you can put lots of things on a four-quadrant matrix. And so, we had leaders who um, were, were not getting results and we had leaders who were getting really great results because they were just, they'd run through a wall. They would just leave dead bodies by the side of the road. Whatever it took to get the mission, they didn't care. They were going to get it done. And then on the other axis, you had leaders who weren't getting results, but they were really nice leaders. People loved working for them. They connected, they had great relationship skills, and um, um, people like working with them. And then you had other leaders, like there are, is in every organization, they didn't have good personal skills. They didn't get to know their people. They weren't interested in getting to know their people. Uh, they didn't um, have a good way about them. They didn't build relationships. Uh, they just didn't know how to have that that one-on-one. -on -one. And so we started to uh, train everyone. And we said, okay, you, there's, there's, you're in one of these boxes. Uh, either today you're not getting the results and you're not treating people right. You got to change tomorrow because there's no place for you in this organization. Now, some of you are getting the results today and we've been asking to get the results for years and you're doing that, but we need you to change the way you're doing that. And so we're going to hold you accountable to how you talk to people. And we're going to put a 360 degree survey in place. You know, that had never been done at, at, at Disney before the early nineties. That wasn't a thing. And so people had no idea what their direct reports thought about them. They had no idea what their, their, their peers thought about them. And we did that survey. That's an accountability tool. We're going to measure the attitudes of your employees and what, how they think you're leading them. And boy, there was a lot of uh, tears shed and a lot of worries because people didn't realize or they realized but had never been held accountable to treating people with respect. Then we had other leaders. They were great leaders. They were treating people the right way, but they just didn't have the business savvy. They didn't have the courage to hold people accountable. And we, they had an opportunity also to sort of get their, their performance up. And this didn't happen overnight. This happened over a few years. And then you know, the promised land, the place you want to be is I get results and I get it in a respectful way. And I get it in a way that um, is, uh, is 
treats people the right way. It's done in a way that's human. I build relationships over time. I get people to, uh, uh, to, to be committed to their jobs and I'm able to get results. And doing both of those things is really hard because you've been in jobs before. Hey, I don't care how you do this. Just make sure you hit your budget this month. It's like, wow, you're just inviting me to have bad behaviors or do something that may not even be honest if that's all you care about. Um, so sometimes you'd say, look, I, I wasn't able to get to the target, but because I wasn't going to have my team work 80 hours a week, I just didn't feel like, and, and that's where you start to have those conversations. So I think that accountability matrix, accountability model, it's a great way to think about things. Are you getting the results that you expect? And are you holding yourself and your teams accountable to the behaviors that they're using to get those results? And doing one is, I'm not going to say easy, but you can do one. Doing both is really hard, but that's what great organizations do. They're able to get both of those results. And you gave a little bit of insight around where somebody may be focused on the results and, and really good at getting results, but the team doesn't really like them so much or they're disrespectful to people maybe. What does the coaching session, what does the movement look like? What does the action look like from a leader to move someone from actually being pretty good with people and they've got a high level of respect as a person and their character, but they're not achieving the results? You know, all these, I think, when you start looking at them, there are assessments, there's feedback you can get. So once again, if I'm going to give people clarity and clear expectations, I have to tell them what they need to improve upon. So if I have a leader who is um, out there, you know, I talk to their team, we love our leader. He or she is always out there with us, gives us feedback. You know, we really, but I'm seeing that their room cleanliness scores are, are lower than their peer group or I'm seeing that they're not delivering the revenue numbers that they need to be delivering. I start to dig in and figure out what that looks like. And it's because at the end of the day, maybe they're not holding their teams accountable to deliver the results they need to get. Um, so for example, in uh, food and beverage and a fast food restaurant at, at, at Disney or any food and beverage location that s- serves fast food, efficiency and speed is really important. I mean, people want good food, but in, in, in fast food, you don't want a gourmet meal. You, and we used to say, you want hot food hot and cold food cold, and you want to get out of there fast. That's why you went there. If you wanted a gourmet meal, you wouldn't have gone to a fast food restaurant. And so some of the leaders, we'd say, well, look, you're not um, your transactions per hour during your lunch rush are below what the average is of the other fast food locations. How are you going to improve that? And if they said, well... I tell the the cast members, the employees to go faster, but I can't make them go faster. Well, you know what? You can start to train them and you can start to find out who the ones who do do this faster. And you can start um, talking to your management team to be out there during lunch and making sure you're coaching the employees and looking at how they're doing these transactions and giving them feedback on their performance. And you can get one of your leaders, just this becomes their full-time job is to make sure that the transaction speed gets to where it needs to be. And you need to give them the tools to get that done, but you also have to hold them accountable to make sure they get there. And so it, it becomes these observable behaviors. Sometimes what I found a lot of times is just lack of uh, business acumen. You know, I grew up in this business. I ne- never really got formally trained on how to do some of this. So I don't know what reports I have to print out. I'm not sure how to what I'm supposed to do. Okay, well, if you have inventory problems and food and beverage, your cost of sales problems, I can give you a list of 30 things you can go start looking at tomorrow in your business to make sure that you are, um, you're hitting your cost of sales. Um, are you portioning 
too much fries. If you if you're selling French fries and you're giving ten ounces, are you portioning it with twelve ounces? And that's how you're losing out on that two ounces of your food costs. Is there theft happening in your organization? Do you have the right processes in place? Um, do you spend time with the inventory team and make sure that the counts are going correctly? So they may just not be spending the time to get in those details because either they're not organized, it's not doesn't interest them, or they don't know how to do it. And so you can give them that training. And then sometimes the accountability comes. Well, I just don't feel I don't feel comfortable telling that manager that they're not doing their job. And a leader is usually not going to tell you that, but you can tell when they just don't feel comfortable. And that's when you have to say, look, I'm going to train you on how to give feedback. And then I'm going to expect you to start doing that very quickly here. Because if you can't hold your team accountable, that's going to be a big problem for me because there's results we need to get. So sometimes it was a, a intellectual technical knowledge issue. And sometimes it was just an attitude issue. And sometimes you promoted the wrong person and maybe they didn't belong in that role. And by holding them accountable, you'd figure that out. And it didn't mean you're going to get rid of them. It meant maybe you move, move them to a, a job that was going to be more in line with their, their personality and their skill set. Like when we load this episode on YouTube, we will actually have the leadership accountability matrix, you know, pop up on the screen. Just for complete clarity's sake, do you just want to uh, really summarize each section of the quadrant? Yeah. So if you look at the um, the accountability matrix here um, on the um, X axis or the, the horizontal axis is results, uh, getting low results, poor results, or the, on the right-hand side, really great results, whatever that is, customer service scores, transaction times, labor hours, you know, whatever you're measuring in your business that's important for you to run a successful business is on that axis. And then on the, the, the uh, vertical axis, the y-axis is leadership behaviors. And at the bottom is, you know, you don't get to know your team. You don't build relationships with them. You don't set clear expectations for them. Um, you don't know what's going on in your operation. You don't listen for continuous improvement opportunities. And I can go through a laundry list of really, you know, leadership behaviors. If you're on the bottom there, you're not doing any of that. If you're on the top, you're probably doing that pretty well. You're pretty motivational. You know your team. You're inspirational. You're giving them feedback on a regular basis. You're recognizing them when it's appropriate. And you're doing that. And so that's the, the top of that. So this bottom left-hand quadrant, once again, this is not a good place to be. You're not getting results short-term and long-term. You're not, uh, you're not demonstrating the right leadership behaviors to, to keep your business running. And so this is, you need some immediate changes uh, in both of these quadrants. You need to go figure out how you're going to be more effective in running your business. And then you also have to go get some leadership training to make sure you're going to be more uh, effective leading a team or leading your, your employees. Now, if you go to the top left-hand uh, box here, you're a great leader. You're interacting with your team. They enjoy working with you. You give them, you give them uh, probably too much positive recognition and not a whole bunch of critical feedback. But uh, overall, you're doing well. If you do a, a leadership survey, they're going to tell you that you're doing really well in that, but you're not getting the results. You're not out there every day pushing the team. Maybe you're not uh, measuring their performance the way you should be. So you got to figure out, you know, we like to talk about KPIs, these key performance indicators. You may, be, you need to talk to your team and yourself about what are the, the, the numbers I'm going to measure myself on. Am I reducing accidents in my location? Am I hitting my cost of sales numbers for food and beverage or merchandise? Am I managing my labor hours the right way? Am I getting great guest scores 
or customer service scores. So you got to figure out how to, de- to, to deliver that, but don't change, you know, you're going to have to tweak your leadership behavior, but just you, you need to be more intentful on what you're looking for. The bottom right-hand quadrant, you are probably Attila the Hun. We will get the results. You will deliver the results. You can do this short term, but eventually people are going to leave your organization. They're not going to stick around. They're going to go work for somebody else who respects them. You can't put pressure. Short term, you can put pressure on people. But if you put pressure on people all the time and don't care about anything else except results, you're going to fail as a leader, um, especially in today's market. People don't won't put up for that anymore. My wife and I, Valor and I, have three 20-year-olds. 20, 20 and there's, they certainly wouldn't put up with being treated disrespectfully because they can go get 10 other jobs. So you really, if you're in this box, you really have to think about, um, are you valuing your team and get some leadership training? And once again, that upper right-hand quadrant, that's where you want to be. You're delivering the right leadership behaviors. Maybe you're making mistakes sometimes, but you're trying to get better. You're trying to learn how to get better and learn and, and, and lead better and, and teach your, your employees. You're holding them accountable in a, in a very positive way. You're giving them feedback. You're recognizing them when it's appropriate. You're making them feel valuable and listened to, and you're getting great results. And over time, if you have a great leadership style, you will get sustainable results also without having to strike fear into people. And uh, that's where you want to be. But it doesn't happen overnight. And so that's where over time you got to find the right employees who are going to be able to perform at a high level, but also um, the ones that you're going to be able to have a professional relationship with. And once again, if you can do both those things, you're going to have a much more fun at work and get much better results and get it in a way that people are really going to appreciate you. Mate, from your own experience, let's say that 26 years in Disney, have you ever thought about a trait in a leader that may help them be better at accountability than, say, a leader who struggles with accountability? I think something I've found over time is this idea of self-awareness, being self-aware, knowing how you're being perceived by others understanding your uh, feelings, understanding what uh, your hot buttons are and being able to control how you, how you respond to those things. Because when you're self-aware, first of all, you're more vulnerable because you've accepted your shortcomings. You know what they are and you try to manage them the right way. You know what your strengths are and you try to play to those. And when you're vulnerable, you're much, it's much easier to learn and get better and improve because if you're not vulnerable, you won't take any feedback and you'll never change. And that's one of the important keys to life, I think, is you got to learn and keep changing because um, you don't know everything. And the, the people who are self-aware, they know they don't know everything. And so they're always looking for how to make improvements along the way. Um, the leaders who say, look, this is how I've always done it and it's always worked. So I'm not looking to make any changes. Those are the ones who are going to get in trouble because it happens slowly. And all of a sudden one day they just, they can't, they can't lead organizations or, um, you know, technology gets so complicated. They don't keep up with, um, their technical skills and soon they're, they're really struggling in those jobs. So I think that self-awareness piece opens up so many doors to self-improvement and that self-improvement, once you know what you need to improve upon, you can go work on it. It may be technical. It may be more of a soft skill, but for me, that is, uh, that leads the way because if you really ask yourself, 
am I good at holding people accountable? If you're self-aware, you're going to know if you are, and you're going to know maybe if you're too tough on people and you're certainly going to learn if you're too soft and you're, you kind of shy away from those conversations. Um, and once you understand that and you can tell yourself the truth about that, then you're willing to go learn and get better. And that's what we consider a growth mindset. You approach things you're not good at and you try to get better at them and you're not afraid of failure and you're not afraid of people seeing that uh, you're struggling with something, but you go try to improve it anyway. Because here's the irony. As a leader, everyone knows what you're not good at. <laughs> Every day you're on, you're in the spotlight and they know what you handle well and what you don't handle well. So everyone knows it anyway. So why not take responsibility for it and go ahead and make improvements and get better? And mate, you're all one of those people also who, through your time at Disney, like you said, you had 19 roles. I think you started off as a car park attendant and moved yourself through to vice president of the Magic Kingdom. There's a lot of learning that would have happened through that journey and we still learn every day, hopefully. When did this leadership accountability matrix move from sort of a learning thing to a real thing and that impact, you identified the impact of a matrix like this? I think I always understood how important this was. Growing up, this is kind of the style my parents had. They held me accountable, but they were very supportive and really pushed me, but gave me some tough love. And so I, I, I had such a, a great opportunity to grow up in a house like that, with a family like that. So that, that really, I started to recognize um, the importance of connecting with people on a relationship human level and still understand, you know what, sometimes that relationship is going to be something we have to do together to reach a goal, um, especially in sports. You know, playing sports when I was growing up taught me a lot about leadership and a lot about how to have those conversations with uh, some of my teammates, even if they're my friends, to be able to, you know, give tough feedback on how they need to perform better or they're, you know, become more of a team player or whatever that, that feedback was. Then, you know, as I progressed in my career, where I started to really see it was as I moved up to some of the more senior levels. When I got to be a senior manager, eventually I became a general manager. And especially at the VP level, I realized that if I did not figure out how to do this, I was going to fail. And I, I, needed to, I needed to reach out. I needed to make sure everyone clearly knew what they needed to do because the responsibilities got too, I had too many things to do. I couldn't be on top of everything all the time. And that's something that leaders really, uh, one of the tough things they go through is at one point they have to start letting go of things. There's things they just got to hire the right person and trust that that person is going to do their job. Um, it doesn't mean they're not going to hold them accountable, but you can't know everything. So, um, that's when I really started to realize I had to, focus on getting a great team around me and then making sure that I was doing everything to support that team. When you, when you get to sometimes higher and higher levels, you, you realize more and more, it's not about you anymore. It's about the organization and it's about um, how you enable all the leaders on your team to get their jobs done. Because by default, if they do a great job, you get the credit. And if they don't do their jobs, you are held accountable for that. And so I think that's uh, slowly over time that really hit me that, um, you know, I would let someone's performance slide because they'd already always been a great performer. I would be slow to kind of jump to start giving them feedback. And that never, that was never good. It never ended well. When I sensed something was wrong, something was wrong. And so you just got to make sure you're willing to have those conversations early and often. And sometimes if you're off base, if you're getting the wrong signals, maybe you misread the situation, you'll get corrected. 
And the person will say, you know what, that's not an issue, but I, I can see why you thought it was, but we're fine. And then you move forward. Once again, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes sometimes, but as long as you're having those um, conversations in a respectful way, your team will allow you to make those mistakes and the benefit of uh, the organization. Dan, I've heard you in some of your talks speak about the three buckets. How does that relate to accountability? You know, people talk about, you always hear people, what are your goals? What are your goals in life? And I, I could never answer that question. And so, but as I got further in my career at Disney, I really started to think about, I don't always know what my goals are, but I should know what my priorities are. And the, you could argue they're the same, but um, at the end of the day, I really got it down to, I call them my three buckets. There's three things that I think about every single day and I hold myself accountable to. And I always ask audiences, I say, okay, what do you think the three most important things in my life are? Starting with the most important thing. And usually, every, well, actually, almost every single time, unless they've heard me speak before, well, your family. Your family is the most important thing. Your kids. And I say, they're not the most important thing to me. And you know, there's this gasp. It's like, who's this guy? And I said, look, they're, they're on my list, believe me. I'm my first priority, taking care of myself first. And that's the whole first part of my book is talking about leading self. You have to take care of yourself first. You have to hold yourself accountable first to being healthy. You got to hold yourself accountable to getting enough sleep. You need to hold yourself accountable to being organized. All the things that you need to do for yourself, in my mind, have to come first. Because if you don't take care of yourself first, you can't take care of your family. You can't be a great leader in your organization. Everything else is going to suffer. So you need to be selfish and make sure you take care of yourself, whether that's exercise, your diet, your diet and your exercise reflect on your energy level. When you have a better energy level, you're more patient with your kids. You're more patient with your spouse. You're more patient in your organization. You can think more clearly. You handle stress better. You're more resilient. So there's so many reasons you should take care of yourself first. Then family, friends and family come next. What am I doing to, to take care of my friends and family? And third is my career. What am I doing to take care of my career? So I have a little, um, I call it my little virtual scorecard I use every day to rate, how did I perform today? How did I do today? And on any given day, if I got out for a morning run, I checked the box. You took care of yourself today. Good job. Did you call your mom? When I got in an argument with my wife, was I open-minded and was I able to take the feedback um, the right way? When my kids texted me because they needed something, did I return the call really quickly? Am I checking in with my my family? Um, you know, we know what those responsibilities look like, and they're not just general; they're very specific. Uh, what I learned about marriage is it's not about romance; it's about did you take out the trash and did you empty the dishwasher? You know, uh, pulling your weight, and then I think we all get feedback all the time on how we're doing in our jobs. You know, we have scorecards at work; we get feedback from our customers. There's no lack of feedback there, so that's what I do every day. I look at myself: Did I take care of myself today? Did I, what I do for my family and what I do for my career? And if uh, if um, it's usually a one out of three day, and if I can get a two out of three day, that's a great day, and three out of three hardly ever happens because um, it's hard to deliver on all these responsibilities. But if you make sure you rotate them and you keep them all, I, I think about juggling. 
you're juggling these balls. You can't let one hit the ground. So just make sure you're, you're juggling one ball. Um, during Christmas at Disney, I hardly saw my family. I was working crazy hours because that's what it's like at Disney. So I did a terrible job as a, as a father and as a spouse during Christmas. But then other times of the year, I had to make sure I was doing that well because I had to fill in that gap. So I would just ask everyone out there, what are your, and they may not be three, they may be two, they may be five, but what are the priorities in your life? And then what are you, what are the behaviors that you are going to, the actions you're going to take to make sure you're delivering on those things? And then most importantly, are you going to hold yourself accountable to make sure you're doing those things? And that accountability happens every single day. I got up yesterday morning and I looked around. I'm like, I can have some coffee, do some emails and enjoy the morning or I can have some coffee and go for my run. And I failed. I'm like, I need to get some work done. I really didn't, but I really didn't feel like running. And I got a zero yesterday. Hopefully today I'm going to be a little more disciplined. So once again, you can let yourself fail, but if you, as long as you know what you're trying to achieve, I think you'll be in a much better position to you know, kind of reach your goals. Well, mate, given you're in traveling in France at the moment, it's probably around 4 a.m., maybe a little bit after. What's your report card look like for today? <laughs> yeah, the report card for today. I'm going to get a whole bunch of work done today. I don't have anything on my schedule for the, the rest of the day. So I think I'm going to be pretty productive when it comes to uh, getting ahead on some of the work I have to get done. My wife had uh, told me she wants to do a hike this afternoon. So I think I'm, I'm in for that because she, she wants to do that. So I think I'm going to do pretty well in that category today. And then um, if this interview went well, and we get some good feedback, maybe that'll be a three out of three day. Maybe one of those, you know, those those events that don't happen often are gonna come. So we'll see. I think you've done fantastically well, mate. I'm more worried about your sleep. Mate, sleep's so important to looking after self. So you might get a maybe a half mark out of there that. There you one, go. Mate. I may get a little negative point today on my sleep. Yeah. Possibly, mate. Possibly. But I'm sure you'll catch up and a hike will be good. Mate, can you share to wrap this up who or what has had the greatest impact on your own leadership journey? I think one of the obvious answers, well, maybe not obvious, but you know, I like I said, I was very lucky to grow up in a very healthy uh, family environment. And as I get older, I realize not everyone has had that that benefit. But my parents have been married for over fifty years, and um, you know, I'd I'd love to tell you I had some. Uh, I have some therapy to do because of my relationship with my my mom or my dad. But as far as I know, I don't have any hangups. Everything's good. So they've been an incredible uh, influence on me, guiding me, not telling me where to go, but giving me feedback and giving me uh, consequences and explaining me the consequences of my decisions, which has been great. I think the second person is my wife, Valerie. My mom remembers when I, we first started dating We've been married 29 years and we first started dating. I'd never dated anyone for more than a few months. And all of a sudden I was moving to France to open Disneyland Paris. And there was this lady, Valerie, I was talking about. My mom's like, oh, this is different. And she asked me, she goes, what is it about her? What is it? Because you, you've never spent, had a long-term relationship with anyone. What is it about Valerie? And I said, she makes things happen. And that's what I loved about her. She was action-oriented. She was like made stuff happen. She took initiative and would say, Hey, we're going here tomorrow. We're doing this. And I really enjoyed that. It, 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 it got me accountable to, to, you know, get things more done in life. Um, so clearly they've been a huge influence on me. And then I think the other thing, and this is, I think everyone can take away. 
I've had hundreds of other people's uh, in my life had huge influence on me. Every time I meet someone, I look for, okay, what are the, what are the good things about this person? What can I learn and what can I take away and take a little piece of them and put it in myself and maybe uh, emulate what they do, emulate how they behave, emulate how they think. And so I've had um, um, bosses, employees throughout my whole career that have been role models for me because everyone is great at something. And once again, if you can be an observer and take those things away, you can let a lot of people impact who you are as a person. And that helps you change also as you move through your life. Dan, thank you today for unpacking this important, very important leadership skill of accountability, relating it to your own experiences and stories and sharing the leadership accountability matrix from the Disney organization as well. Really appreciate that. Mate, also massive thank you to you and Valerie, your wife, who also worked in Disney for a long time for bringing so much magic to so many people's lives, adults, children alike, and bringing magic to our kingdom. Mate, thanks very much for being a fantastic guest on the Culture of Things podcast. Thanks, Brendan. Appreciate it. Accountability starts with being clear on your expectations. Without this, it's impossible to follow through on accountability. How can you hold anyone accountable to a behavior or task if they weren't clear on what was expected? Accountability is one of those most critical skills you can develop as a leader. And to get good at it, you have to practice continuously. Like everything in leadership, it starts with you. What daily actions are you keeping yourself accountable to? These were my three key takeaways from my conversation with Dan. My first key takeaway, leaders choose accountability over popularity. Leadership isn't a popularity contest. It's about helping your team achieve results. You need to be firm about your expectations and fair in the way you treat people. Choosing accountability over popularity is true leadership. My second key takeaway, leaders do Gemba walks. Gemba is a Japanese term meaning the real place. Leaders will take time every day to go and see the real workplace, ask questions, build relationships, and find opportunities for improvement. Leaders know the value of going to the Gemba. My third key takeaway, leaders choose commitment over compliance. Compliance will get results, but it's fear leadership. If you explain why something's important, build relationships and ask questions to seek input, you'll get commitment. This will achieve long-term results and is why true leaders choose commitment over compliance. So in summary, my three key takeaways were, Leaders choose accountability over popularity. Leaders do Gemba walks. And leaders choose commitment over compliance. What were your key takeaways from the interview? Let me know at theculturethings.com, on YouTube or via our socials. Thanks for joining me. And remember, the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation. Thank you for listening to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. Please visit brendanrogers.com.au to access the show notes. If you love the Culture of Things podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, a healthy culture is your competitive advantage.